0: Setting sun, rain, the of home. Your glory far exceeds all human thought. So with each breath I'll bless your name. and mighty. and creation will rejoice when works of wicked men you finally destroy your power will proclaim till Christ descends and you will reign forever
1: Good morning, Newcastle. We are so glad to be with you to worship our God together this morning. Uh, We just finished singing this song. It came from Psalm 145. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read a portion of that for you this morning. Uh, It says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Well, this morning, uh, we'd like to sing that song again. We're going to have you all stand and join us, please, and sing with us. Sing uh, now to our great God. How great is the Lord and greatly to be praised.
0: I'll bless your name, O God, each day that I awake. From dawn till setting sun Your greatness I'll proclaim Your glory far exceeds All human thought So with each breath i bless your name O oh God Your name will be revered By children yet to come As generations sing wonders you have done, your strong and mighty deeds are always near, oh God most high your name will be. and the weak, when we call out to you, you hear our cries, and all our needs, your grace When works of wicked men you finally destroy Your power will proclaim till Christ descends And you will reign forever with
1: with us, you can be seated. Uh, If you've been around here the last couple weeks, you've probably heard our life group sign-ups are going on. We've got a short video um, about that this morning, so would you please turn your attention back here.
2: Our life group has come alongside us uh, many times uh, through the years. We have um, anything from deaths in our family to um, medical issues, surgeries, um, just our life group has been there for us uh, to not only talk things through, but to uh, bring us meals. Um, they've come alongside us. Uh, most importantly, I think in prayer and uh, support. Um, for me, the biggest challenges that I've had in life is losing both of my parents while attending church. And so, when that had happened, I had received a lot of love from our life group, a lot of prayers, and a. A lot of biblical truth was spoken to me through that time. We know we're always there for each other, and uh, that means so much. And so we laugh, and we cry together, and it, uh, it's like having a whole group of um, sisters that you didn't know you had until you reached out and said, Hey, let's have a group. And now, as I said, there's like 13 of us. It's amazing. have some very beautiful testimonies of people in our church who have been really blessed and benefited by the ministries of our life groups in this church. You know, our, our life groups are really an expression of what uh, Paul calls us to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, where he says, encourage one another and build one another up. You know, that early church was facing some hard things. They were a very faithful church, but still endured a lot of hard things. And so they needed one another to come alongside one another to build each other up in their walk with Christ, to spur each other on. And we need that as well. And we just recognize in a church this side, that's that's hard to do uh, when we're in Giant corporate gatherings, there's ways that we do do that, but on a more intimate level, that's why we have life group ministries to really break that down so that you can do that with people in a smaller sphere of influence where you can love each other and encourage each other. As this video said, pray for one another and walk with one another through the hard seasons of life. And so we would just, when you hear that, your natural instinct should be, why would I not want that? If you're a genuine Christian, why would I not want that type of community and that type of biblical accountability with other people? And so, if our desire this month is that every member in our church would be committed to uh, a life group ministry of some sort. And so, this whole month, again, we have the displays that are out there that show you the available life groups. If you just want to call and talk with our church office and get more information and just process with them what would be a good fit for you, we're happy to do that. Uh, we would just love for you to take that next step of faith and that next step of involvement in what it looks like to build up the local church body here at Newcastle. And as we say that, we just want to say welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here to join us to worship together. This corporate gathering is one of the ways that we do seek to encourage each other and build one another up in the faith. And so, just want to encourage you to go ahead and uh, get that worship folder you received on your way in this morning. If you open it up, if you could fill out that small little check-in card that's a way for us just to know that you're here to uh, be able to serve you with prayers and rejoice with you in the praises that we can be uh, just praying for you this week. Um, If you're a first-time guest, we would love for you to fill that out as well. Uh, Rather than dropping it in one of these tables here, if you could take it to our uh, welcome desk right out here. We have some friendly faces who are just ready to give you some more information about our church, answer any questions that you have. It's just a joy for us to be able to serve you in that way, because we recognize being at a new church is sometimes difficult, and so we want to remove as much of that from you as possible. Um, now, you will also notice in your worship folder that today is the first Sunday of the month, which means da, 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 resource of the month. We are excited as a church. We we believe strongly in being able to put before you very valuable resources that are beneficial for you to learn and glean from. And this month, our resource of the month is Dave Harvey's great book, "When Sinners Say I Do." So this is about biblical marriage. And I'm gonna kind of drop a bomb on you here that you may not know, uh, but no two people enter into marriage sinless. I know that's a shock, but believe it or not, marriage is a union. A covenant between two sinful people. And so as you would imagine, there's lots of baggage people bring into marriages and a lot of uh, brokenness. Uh, But that is the first step to embracing the gospel and the power of it in your marriage. In fact, he says this in the introduction. He says, when sinners say, I do, is not a depressing thought. It recognizes that to get to the heart of marriage, we must deal with the heart of sin. Until we understand the problem, we will not be able to delight in the solution. And so the gospel is the power that breaks the, the power of sin and the, the baggage that sin brings into marriages. This is a great book. I use this with anybody who does premarital counseling with me. I think it's one of the best books out there on Christian marriage. whether you've been uh, whether you're considering marriage, whether you're five years into your marriage or whether you're 50 years into your marriage, you will greatly benefit from this book as you continue to put to death sin and ultimately embrace the gospel truths that give you a stronger marriage. So again, these are out here in our resource center. There's a se- separate table that you can grab one free of charge from us. Uh, we do just ask that you don't push and shove on your way out the doors to get this because we know that's naturally what you want to do. Um, if we see you doing that, we will take the book from you, okay? <laughs> You'll get another chance next week. But. The only thing we do ask is if you do take a copy of this, you promise to read it, right? We want you, if you're taking it, that's a commitment saying, yes, Lord, I want to learn and glean from this. And then you can pass this along or encourage other people to do the same. That's one of the great ways that we do this as resources so that we will all benefit ultimately from it. So we have a lot to look forward to. We are so thankful for what the ministries of this church are doing. Thankful for this time together this morning. And as we think about our time together, let's commit it now to the Lord and a word of prayer. Well, our gracious Lord, you are an amazing God. As we have already sung this morning, you are greatly to be praised. And yet, even as this book that's endorsed here reminds us, we are sinners. We we bring baggage. We bring brokenness even into our times of worship together. And so we need your help to praise you. We need you to uh, cleanse us of all unrighteousness as we confess our sins to you in the light of your, your, your truth. And so, We pray that this morning, as we seek to come together to encourage one another and build one another up, as we sing together, as we we worship together, as we stimulate one another to love and good deeds, uh, we pray that you would refine our hearts, that the ministry of your word would be powerful today, that your spirit would be used through it to change us for our greater good and for your glory. And so we ask if you would be pleased to do that in us, please do so today through Christ's name. Amen.
1: Psalm 98 says this, "O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Church, it's a privilege to get to worship that God this morning, to get to sing together praises to him. Would you please stand and join us and sing?
0: See yeah. the son, the servant king, who left behind his glorious throne to pay the ransom for his own. All praise to him who humbly came to bear our sorrow, sin, and shame. Who lived to die, who died to rise, the all-sufficient sad All praise to him whose power imparts the love. truth and peace the fount of joy and holiness to father son and spirit now our souls we lift our wills we bow to you the triune god we raise with loving hearts our song of son and spirit now our souls we lift our wills we bow to you the triune god we raise with loving hearts our song
1: sang in that last song about christ our all-sufficient sacrifice it's because christ paid our debt that we can be washed clean so would you sing now jesus paid it all
0: i hear the savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Just paint it.
3: For those youngsters ages three to kindergarten you're welcome to head out the back and go to children's church before we come to the lord in prayer i want to bring your attention to an opportunity that we have to be a blessing to a ministry that's been very dear to newcastle for years and that's camp nathaniel surely you've heard about the devastating flooding that's going on in kentucky lives have been lost And Camp Nathaniel's not unaffected, they've lost some of their cabins, they have an obscene amount of mud to still deal with, but they are still serving their community and showing them the love of Christ in the midst of such a trial. They are housing people in their lodges that they haven't lost, they're using their gymnasium as a distribution center, even letting people just come to use the showers there. They've really been a blessing, but the need is still great. And there is a flood relief fund that we have the opportunity to give to. So if you feel uh, called to support this, we will be taking a special exit offering. You see receptacles here at the front and the back. If the receptacle you're looking at is metallic and cylindrical, do not use that. Um, That won't help anybody. We're looking for white cardboard receptacles. If you're concerned, if that scares you, you can also use the Church Center app. And if you click on the Give tab, you can select your amount and then choose Exit Offering, Camp Nathaniel from there. Um, That would be a huge blessing to the workers there. With that, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, a people in need of grace and mercy. We, We know in our heart of hearts that we have sinned against you, our holy God. We've... Done things we know we shouldn't have done. We've skipped out on the responsibilities that you've called us to. But Father, we do believe and trust that you are merciful. So please, Father, give us your grace. Uh, Relieve us from this burden of sin. Remind us of our forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Make our burden his and his righteousness ours. Father, please renew our hearts this morning with this stunning truth. Have it spur us on to love and good works amongst our neighbors, and give us just an unending thankfulness to you, our God of grace. Even so, Lord, uh, our hearts are still heavy this morning for the lives lost in Kentucky amidst the flooding there, Uh, another in a long line of examples of the fallenness and brokenness of your once good creation. But Lord, we also rejoice in knowing that you have people there, and you're using them to bring relief, comfort, and uh, most importantly, the gospel to those that are in need. So I pray for the workers of Camp Nathaniel, that you would give them strength and perseverance in such a trying time, and that you would use them and, by extension, use us as some means of drawing rebel sinners to the gospel of Jesus. We also pray this morning for our partner church of Focus this week that we've been praying for, Pekin Bible Church. Pray that you would use Pastor Nightingale even now to bring good news to, to his flock, build them up in their faith, Give them the encouragement and strength needed to be a light in their community. We're thankful for their faithfulness over the years and their service to us. Lord, we're also grateful for the faithful and longtime service of our brother Shane Knapp, serving at Salem Ranch in Flanagan. It's been a very busy summer there, reading their updates, and your hand has not been invisible at the Salem Ranch. We're thankful for the success of a recent disc golf tournament, a beekeeping seminar, team roping, a Midwest Food Bank packing event, and even just two days ago, a a golf outing. There's so much going on, and your goodness has been made known to many. With so much going on, we pray for that staff in such a busy season. We pray that you would continue to to use them as ministers and uh, sharing Christ with the students and the families that come across them and that are enrolled there. Father, we also pray with uh, excitement, eagerness uh, for our supported Go partner, Cameron and Roe Dobbins at King's Cross Church. Uh, exciting news from them about a, a church plant coming up that Cameron will be helping spearhead. We pray for your hand to be all over that process, Father. If, if they just are on their own, we know that there's no chance of success or fruit. So we're putting our trust uh, on their behalf in you to make that a fruitful endeavor in that area. We pray that many would be brought to saving faith through that work. Now, Father, as we prepare to worship you once more in song, please use the lyrics that we sing and the time that we have to prepare our hearts for hearing your good news, your word proclaimed to us. Father, please please bless us this morning with whatever it is that we as individuals need to hear, whether that is conviction or comfort, exhortation or encouragement. We trust you. We trust you with our lives, and we trust you with these prayers that we bring to you, our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, our Father, our Savior, our Sanctifier, one God from everlasting to everlasting. Amen.
1: Would you please stand with us and continue singing?
0: how firm a foundation ye saints of the lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word what more can he say than to you he has said to you who for refuge to jesus have fled Fear not, I am with you, O be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through deep waters i call you to go the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow for i will be with you your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress trials your pathway shall lie my grace all sufficient shall be your supply the blame shall not hurt you I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake.
1: Please be seated.
4: I'm so thankful that God never forsakes those who are trusting in Him for our eternal rest. Well, let's continue our worship now by opening your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We would love to give you a copy of God's Word to use in this service or to even take home as our gift today. Before we read from Ephesians chapter 4, I want to just thank you, church. Uh, I just want to sincerely thank you for all the ways that you joyfully served Jesus last month in July. July was a very, very busy month around here for the glory of God. We had all kinds of exhilarating ministry happening in us and through us. Some of us served last month in our new one-way kids' Ministry in downtown Mackinac. Some shared the gospel in one of our two Vacation Bible School programs. Some participated in life group leader training. Others participated in after school staff training. Um, Some helped to hire Jared Bergen as our new outreach director for Goodfield last month. Some traveled to San Francisco for a week of street ministry and evangelism in the Tenderloin in that city. Last month, some served with our Macafest food tent on behalf of our community, and then others helped us to have a a glorious day of worship in the rain in the park at uh, Veterans Park in Mackinac. Some started to teach and benefit from new adult discipleship electives that started last month, and all of this new ministry was done in addition to our Sunday morning worship gatherings for children and adults here every week. And so I just want to say thank you. Not one person did all of this, but every member helped with some of this. (laughs) And that's exactly how the church body works, isn't it? Here at Newcastle, we don't expect every member to be part of everything that God's Spirit is doing here. But we do expect for every member to be plugged in to what God's Spirit is calling you to do for His glory among us and for our joy together here at Newcastle Bible Church. But admittedly, July 2022 was an exceptionally busy month of ministry for us here. So I just want to pause for a moment, take a deep breath, and ask, how are you doing? How are we doing? Because sometimes after these mountaintop pushes for the glory of God, there can be kind of a big letdown that we experience after a busy season of ministry. And so, I just want to say thank you, but I want to say, how's your, how's your joy in Christ? How are you doing in your relationships with others? How, how are you doing, church, in your fight for purity? How are you doing in your attitude of gratitude after this busy season? Because if you're extra tired, you have good reason to be tired. (laughs) But if you're extra tired, I just want to encourage you, as one of your shepherds here, I just want to encourage you, if you are extra tired, make sure that you're prioritizing your personal time in God's word every single day. That you're refreshing your soul in the exceeding great and precious promises of God. Write out your prayers. Talk honestly to God, and he will listen. Renew your mind with gospel truths. Refresh your soul with grand visions of all that God is and all that God has done in us, through us, in spite of us, for his glory. And continue to pray, church, that God would use his powerful grace to show all of us more of his love and keep us centered on his glory until he calls us home. So church, again, I just want to say thank you and I want to say thanks, Lord. For, for how His Spirit is at work within us. This is such an amazing, amazing time to be part of Newcastle Bible Church and to God get all the glory. Now let's turn our attention today to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our series on building up the body of the church. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand one more time for the public reading of God's Word as I'm going to read from the ESV translation of... Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as I read, listen carefully for what God and His Spirit is personally saying to you from this text. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. I want to pray for you uh, now that God would help us all as we study this text, so let's pray. Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we come with great dependence on your Spirit this morning. I love Ephesians. I love this text. I'm so thankful for Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. But Father, you know how this text pierces human pride. So I pray for my, my loved ones here. I pray for my church family, Father, that you would please give us each extra humility. Give us ears to hear hearts to bow in submission to your glory. Give us an inclination to love in a manner that's consistent with our gospel calling. Purify your church today of all racism, of all prejudice, of all discrimination, of all condemnation and judgment that we are so prone to have even against other Christians. Father, please, Unify us in the unity that you have already given us in Christ. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a well-known legend about a Christian who got shipwrecked on an isolated island all by himself. For several years, this Christian survived on the island by himself until one day a passing fisherman discovered him And offered to take him back to the mainland. And and the Christian was so overjoyed that that he could be rescued and and returned to society. But before they left the island, he asked the fisherman, Would you like a tour of this beautiful island that I've come to love and know and live for these last several years? And of course, the fisherman was intrigued. He said, Sure, we'll take the tour. So the Christian joyfully showed his rescuer all of his gardens. He showed him his favorite beach his favorite lookout point. And at the end of the tour, they they came to this clearing where there was three small buildings. And the Christian said, well, this building here is my church. This is where I worship God. And this building here is my home where I sleep and and where I find shelter from storms. And then he said, well, now that we've seen the island, I'm ready to go. Let's go. And the fisherman said, well, no now wait just one minute, there's three buildings here, you only told me about the two, what, what, what's the third building, I'm kind of curious, and the Christian kind of shuffled a little bit and he said, well, that's the church I used to go to, <laughs> now we laugh because there's actually some sad truth to that. Christians today are far more divisive and judgmental than God would ever want us to be. It's actually rare to find any Christian today who has existed in the same local church for his entire life. The frequency of flock swapping and church splitting is a woeful blemish on the glory of God today. So listen carefully. Paul wrote Ephesians to Christians... Who are tempted to, do, to proudly discriminate among themselves and separate from each other. The Ephesian believers were tempted to separate from other believers because of racism, Gentile Christians against Jewish Christians. So Paul is writing Ephesians to reveal this gospel mystery that God is actually building a brand new people that's not Jewish and is not Gentile, but it's a new people from all people who believe on Christ called the church. Paul wants his readers to know that God has united all believers together in his grace so that we might all live in love together for the praise of his glory. And particularly in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 4, Paul is teaching that God made us one so we would live as one. Once God unites all Jews and Gentiles together in his gospel, Jews and Gentiles can now walk together in loving unity and relational wholeness. Now, church, we need to approach this text today with an with a huge amount of humility and honesty. Because I understand most of us probably that are here today probably don't care that much about the Jewish-Gentile discussion. But we need Ephesians chapter 4 because all of us struggle with pride and selfishness. So let me just ask you, what part of God's true family What part of God's church do you tend to judge, discriminate, and separate yourself from? Do you refuse to relate with certain Christians who are of a certain color or have a certain level of economic needs? Yeah, I'm not going to be with them. Or have a different level of education? See, God's church today, listen, is unnecessarily splintered by all kinds of disagreements. Disagreements over politics, disagreements over music, disagreements over homeschooling, disagreements, of course, about theology. And while there's room, yes, there is room for some local churches to have different theological convictions than other local churches... When it comes to the non-essential doctrines, we must be careful, church, that we're not, never excommunicating ourselves in a proud judgmentalism against those who are truly part of God's family. So please, honestly consider your own relationships with other Christians. Do you put too much weight on your preferred theological convictions? You say, well, Kevin, can you just come right into my kitchen and just talk plainly with me right now? Well, you sure you want me to? I might be misunderstood, but since you gave me permission, (laughs) are you too quick to fight with people that wear different labels than you? Labels like Methodist or Presbyterian or Apostolic Christian. Or you put in your label, whatever your label is. Have you allowed fear to build unnecessary walls between us and other true believers who believe differently than we do regarding the Holy Spirit? They believe differently than we do regarding women in spiritual leadership. They they believe differently than we do regarding the seven days of creation or the timing of the rapture or the sovereignty of God. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying these doctrines don't matter. Here at Newcastle Bible Church, we believe that the glory of God necessarily demands doctrinal soundness. We care deeply here about rightly interpreting and applying God's word into every part of our life and belief and practice. But what I am saying is that too often Christians cluster together around shared convictions to the exclusion and judgment of other true believers. We only self-righteously fellowship with those of our tribe and no others. And Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us, that God has united all believers into one universal church with a capital C. So while doctrinal soundness matters, and it does, all Christians are definitely called to be Brians who search the scripture every day to see whether these things are truly taught in God's word. Doctrinal soundness matters, yes it does, but so does relational wholeness. Relational wholeness also matters among believers for the glory of God. And with all of our diversity in race and class, and education, and culture, and with all of our differences in spiritual maturity and understanding, God has made all Christians one in Christ so that we would all live together in unity as one united body. So let's catch up with the surrounding context of Ephesians 4 to first recognize that our unity in the church of God must be motivated by God's glory in the church. Please do not miss this. This is a very important point. God's glory is the only right motivation for unity in the diversity of God's church. What should motivate our desire to be one? The glory of God. You might write this down. Your passion for unity among Christians will never be stronger than your passion for the glory of God. After all, what did Paul just get done praying in chapter 3, verse 21? To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, Paul just concludes these entire three chapters, which are all focused on the immense riches of God's grace that he has poured out upon sinners to save us and put us into his family. All these three chapters of immense, magnified grace, amazing grace, And Paul concludes it with this prayer. He says, God's gracious calling of sinners like you and me is ultimately for the praise of His glory in the church. And then chapter 4 continues with this relational implications of God's grace that's working in us when Paul says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, so that therefore, in verse 1, draws out this important implication. God's children should be passionate about relational unity because we're passionate about God's glory in the church. Now, why do I make a point to, to emphasize this? Because God's exaltation is the only powerful thing Only God's exaltation is powerful enough to overcome self-exaltation. Any call for unity in God's church that is not anchored to the glory of God will succumb to a pragmatic, ecumenical tepidness that will only result in the building of another tower of Babel. The call for unity in the church must be connected to the glory of God, not the glory of man. It is self-love and self-glory that leads to judgmental discrimination and hypocritical elitism within God's family. Therefore, only a passion for the glory of God will ensure that our relational wholeness doesn't settle for some counterfeit, some man-centered unity of external conformity. I ought not to love you because you are like me. I ought to love you because God loves you. And my welcome of you is what testifies to the glory of God in his welcome of you. So the relational unity of the church with all of our cultural and personal diversity, the relational unity of this one body in the world, is one of the greatest witnesses to the reality of God and His saving grace in the world. Now, I want to look a bit more closely at that word, therefore, in verse 1, because remember that therefore is the middle point of the entire six chapters of Ephesians. That therefore, in Ephesians 4.1, is the hinge, It's the hinge that connects all the doctrine and the theology of the first three chapters with all of the relational, practical relationships and the the conduct of the last three chapters. All that God has done for us in the first three chapters must now, therefore, affect how we live, how we walk in our daily relationships. In other words, you can write this down. What you believe always determines how you behave. What you believe, chapters 1 to 3, always determines how you behave, chapters 4 to 6. Your calling always determines your conduct. And this is why sound doctrine is such a necessary part of spiritual unity. So please don't misunderstand what I've said earlier in this message. We must never sacrifice the importance of doctrine on the altar of unity. Because in fact, all the doctrine of chapters 1 to 3, when rightly applied, fuels the unity among believers that's so beautifully pictured in chapter 4. Let's pull the RV over for a moment here. Because have you ever noticed, I know I've noticed this, that sometimes Christians with the greatest doctrinal knowledge are sometimes the most proud and the most divisive and the most judgmental Christians. And the Christians that don't seem to care about doctrine at all seem to be the most generous and the most kind. Loved ones, this ought not to be. Truth and love are indeed heavenly companions. And the more truth we come to understand of God's saving grace in our salvation, the more loving we should practically live, just like the whole six chapters of Ephesians teaches us. And this is why in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul urges, literally begs the Ephesian Christians, do not let external distinctions divide you. But instead, in light of all that God has done for you, Paul urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called. Now, a worthy walk, walk in a manner that is worthy. A worthy walk simply refers to the daily living that evidences our gospel calling. It's not a walk that deserves the gospel. Because no sinner can ever deserve God's grace, right? So a worthy walk doesn't mean a way of living that deserves God's calling. Instead, it's a daily walk that evidences our gospel calling. It's a worthy, meaning it's suitable, it's fitting, it's consistent expression of our gospel calling. Our calling simply refers to our glorious position by God's power and grace, right? The calling to which you've been called in verse 1 is simply Paul's summary For all the immeasurable grace that Paul has described in the first three chapters, this is the calling we have received. Wow, it's a calling of grace. Since we've received such a glorious calling, such a privileged privileged position by God's power and grace, we therefore should live differently than the rest of the world. The glory of God is at stake here. I love how Paul uh, rephrases this and kind of reframes it all in just two short verses in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 to 12. And you'll notice this is the verse that's printed on the front of your worship folder this morning, where Paul says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may notice make you worthy of his calling and God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. By his power. Why? Why would you pray such a thing? That we'd walk worthy of the calling. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has made us one. So that we would live as one. All for his greater praise. As our daily relationships with other Christians. Gives visible proof of God's power at work. Within us. So now we've learned how unity must be motivated by God's glory. Let's now consider how our unity is built through God's grace inside us, in our hearts. Verses 2 to 3 make it clear that unity is a matter of the heart before it's ever a matter of our external relations. Verses 2 to 3 give four necessary heart attitudes of worthy living four necessary heart attitudes of worthy living that all culminate in maintaining the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So these gospel-fueled attitudes actually form a progression where the genuine exercise of the one attitude leads to the next, which leads to the next until we practically experience the relational unity that God has given us in Christ. So the first essential heart attitude that God's grace produces in the redeemed is humility. Which, by the way, that's a pretty fitting way to live in light of our calling from these first three chapters of Ephesians, right? Because humility is the attitude by which you see yourself exactly how God sees you, no better and no worse. Humility is biblical honesty. It's the self-forgetfulness. That refuses to focus on your own rights, but instead embraces what God has said is true about me. And the Apostle Paul is begging us, live every day with the highest degree of humility. This is the right way, the fitting way, the worthy way to live in light of all that God has done for us. None of us deserve to be chosen by God. None of us deserved to be made spiritually alive or to have our sins forgiven. None of us deserve to be granted access to God by His Spirit. None of us deserve to be made God's workmanship, His holy temple for His dwelling. We didn't deserve any of that. So church, if we're going to experience the oneness that God has already given us together in Christ, then we must repent of the pride that causes us to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We must repent of the pride of loneliness. We must repent of the pride of self-pity. We must repent of the pride of boastful comparisons and embrace the humility Humility, you say, well, what does humility do? Humility allows me to confess my sins. Humility allows me to forgive the sins of others. Humility allows me to welcome all whom God welcomes. And humility allows me to submit myself gladly under the authority of Christ. And then humility produces gentleness. Or some translations... Say meekness, because it's the Greek word for meekness here. Meekness or gentleness it's the opposite of a harsh resentment or a retaliation. Gentleness is the courageous trust in God that powerfully restrains your emotions for the sake of God's glory and others' good. Let's repeat it. I love it. Gentleness is the courageous trust in God that powerfully restrains your emotions for the sake of God's glory or others' good. See, a proud heart will never be meek. But humility breeds gentleness where one's emotions are under the powerful control of God. God is trusted to make things right in the end. And gentleness is so essential for relational unity among a diverse group of people because gentleness or meekness refuses to get angry or seek revenge when I'm treated unfairly, but only gets angry when God's name is attacked. Which helps explain the next internal heart attitude of unity, which is patience or long-suffering. Literally, the word means long-tempered. So only a humble and a meek heart will continue to patiently endure wrongs without irritation, without complaining, without retaliating. See, patience waits for God's to act, how God wants to act, when God wants to act, without taking justice in our own hands. See, the church today is so filled with fighting because people want to prove themselves right and they want to prove the other person wrong. This is not a a way of living that's consistent with all that God has done for us by his grace. Now, of course, no group of people can live together for long without experiencing some level of conflict, right? Right? So God knows, God knows that that His children will experience all kinds of disagreements within the body of the church. They can be theological disagreements or practical disagreements or personality disagreements. But listen, unity is not the absence of conflict. Spiritual unity is not uniformity. Spiritual unity is built through God's grace working humility and gentleness and patience Inside our hearts. The question of Christian unity is never about whether Christians have disagreements or diversity. But rather it's about the attitudes we are bringing to our conflict. So think about your own heart. Are your heart attitudes towards other Christians consistent with your gospel calling? Paul is urging us to live with each other, with these kind of attitudes, for this is the kind of heart that reflects God's character and glorifies God. A right understanding of all of God's grace in our salvation will produce humility. And then humility will enable meekness, which enables patience, which in turn enables forbearing love or bearing with one another in love, the text says. And by the way, this is how we know that patience, spiritual patience is not just indifferent tolerance. Because notice, the patience that is produced by our gospel calling expresses itself in agape love, a sacrificial love that is willing to put up with someone or put up with something that is difficult for the sake of the other person's eternal good. So forbearing love is always unselfish. It is a love that persists in forgiving sin, in praying for your enemies. Forbearing love is a love that persists in blessing those who curse you, all because you have been first so loved by God, so blessed by God, so forgiven by God yourself. And then notice what all four of these hard attitudes lead to in verse 3. Verse 3 says that we will then be eager, zealous, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice he doesn't say these attitudes create unity, but he says these attitudes result in a holy zeal to maintain or preserve the unity that comes from the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, the unity the Holy Spirit has already given us together. So make no mistake, church, God made us one when we were united to Christ in our salvation. Our unity is never created through any human pressure, any external pressure. Christian unity is built on the inside of human hearts by God's grace, all as a response of our gospel calling. Spiritual unity cannot be created by denomination. It cannot be created by some persuasive human leader. Spiritual unity is something the Spirit has given to all Christians to enjoy together, and it is the Spirit which is the bond. Literally, that word means the cement that chains believers together in peace through these gospel-worthy attitudes. So God made us one so that we would live as one. Our unity is motivated by God's glory in the church, and our unity is built through God's grace in our hearts. And finally, in verses four to six, Paul teaches that our unity rests on the grounds of our triune God. Here, Paul rapidly piles up seven key realities about the person and work of God the Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father that are actually unifying to all Christians. These are the, are the seven non-negotiable doctrines that necessarily unite all Christians. These are the truths that unless you agree with these truths, you cannot be a Christian. These are the seven non-negotiables that, that necessarily unite all Christians together. They're all marked by the word one in the text. These are the grounds and the biblical measure of all spiritual unity. First, in verse 4, Paul reminds the Ephesians that there is only one body of Christ, which is a metaphor for the church. See, one of Paul's favorite metaphors for the church is the human body, and that makes sense when we think about it, because the human body is, has an organic unity, even though it has many diverse parts. The human body grows through the multiplication of cells, and any separation of its members from the body Creates harm and pain to the entire whole. So what's Paul's point here by saying there's only one body of Christ? There's only one church. He's saying, well, there's only one body of believers that is called the church with a capital C. Yes, there's many different local churches around the world, of course. But from God's perspective, there's no Gentile or Jewish, Arminian or Calvinist, charismatic or sensationist, Democratic or Republican hymns-only, or contemporary music body. There is only one body of Christ. And all who are in that invisible, eternal body have thereby been unified together by God himself. Second, there's only one Holy Spirit. Think about this, Christian. All Christians have access to God through the same Holy Spirit. We were all awakened to our sinfulness by the same Holy Spirit. We were all born again by the same Holy Spirit. We were all baptized and indwelt together by the same Holy Spirit. When it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, all true Christians have exactly the same experience. Third, our unity is grounded in one future hope. The end of verse 4 reads, Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. This hope here is referring to the future certainty of our resurrection and eternal life with God. I don't think Paul's trying to be funny, but I kind of find it humorous because really what Paul's saying here is, listen, all you Christians are going to enjoy an eternal future together someday. You might as well start enjoying your future now. Now. We're not going to get to heaven and find a, a closet somewhere where it's like, mm, mm, be quiet. They don't, they think they're the only ones up here. Like, no, there's only one future hope of resurrection and eternally dwelling together with God forever for every Christian in the world. If we are going to have a future together, we might as well have a present together as well. Next in verse five, Paul adds, there's only one Lord. The church doesn't have two heads. There's only one Lord Jesus who has the authority to rule and he has the authority to rescue sinners. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. So very practically, if all Christ followers are submitting to the same Lord and trusting and obeying the same master, won't we all be drawn more closely together over time as we continue to grow and mature? Fifth, there's only one faith. Now here, faith can be understood in one of two ways, either objectively or subjectively. Objectively, there's only one apostolic faith. There's only one settled body of truth that we call the gospel. This is what Jude calls the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, the gospel. But subjectively, faith can refer to the act of believing, that gospel in order to be saved. In other words, there's only one way for sinners to be saved, and that is through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So regardless of which way you take and understand faith in this context, both are true and both are sources of our unity. All Christians believe the same gospel for our salvation, and this one gospel joins all Christians across all divisive barriers and preferences of culture to make us one. Six, there's only one baptism for all Christians. Now, there's some debate here about whether we're talking about a wet baptism or a dry baptism, what kind of baptism we're talking about. If you go back a uh, couple years ago, I did a message. There's actually seven different kinds of baptism referred to in the uh, New Testament. I'd encourage that study for you later. But some believe that uh, the baptism here refers to the believer's baptism, the baptism of water, the wet baptism, the believer's baptism that's done in Jesus' name to publicly identify a Christian with Jesus' death and resurrection. Others believe, no, 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 this baptism here refers to the baptism of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where the Spirit baptizes us into one body at the moment of conversion. I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but I personally believe this is referring to something different altogether than those two choices. I personally believe this is referring to the believer's dry spiritual baptism into Christ's death. Because at the moment of conversion, Romans 6 and Colossians 2 teach that every Christian at the moment of conversion is baptized into or identified with the death of Christ for their sins. And this identification with Christ's death for our own sins is the inward reality that the wet baptism is intended to picture in believers' baptism. But again, regardless of which view you take here, Paul's point is clear. All Christians are baptized, meaning all Christians are identified with the same Lord through the same faith. And then verse 6 concludes the grounds of our unity by saying there is only one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Notice the repetition of the word all four different times. It cannot be missed. All believers, it's referring to all people, all believers, all those who believe in Christ, all Christians have the same God and Father. We've all been adopted by the same Heavenly Father. And our God who unites us is ultimately supremely sovereign He is over all believers. His work permeates and saturates everything in the church. He is working through all believers. And God is dwelling and residing in his church. He is in all believers. So let's summarize. You ready? All Christians are already united into one body through one spirit And we share in one same future hope. All Christians are submitted to one Lord. We share in one faith. And we have been identified with Jesus through one baptism. All Christians have the same God and the same Father who is over, through, and in all of us together. So the triune God is the center and the grounds of all of our unity. God made us one. So that we would live as one. So the glory of God motivates our peacemaking. Our gospel calling compels us towards these inner heart attitudes of unity. All because or since our triune God has already made us one. So how will you respond today? I'm, I'm urging us to diligently work by God's grace to maintain the unity in God's church with a capital C ask yourself who am I most quick to judge or discriminate or retaliate against in God's family which Christians do I think I'm better than and once you answer that question then I urge you to repent of your pride and your self-righteousness. Stop comparing yourselves among others. And instead, go back and carefully reflect more upon all your glorious calling in the gospel that we've learned so richly from chapters 1, 2, and 3. You cultivate humility by reflecting on your gospel calling. Jesus died and he rose again to deliver you from your sinful deadness, from your sinful death, and to unite you with everyone else in his body, in his church. We, alongside the Apostle Paul, have lost our freedom of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. We are now prisoners of love for the Lord. So may God help us to build up his body for the sake of his glory, by the power of his grace and on the grounds of what he himself has already done. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for this amazing plan of redemption whereby you're, you're uniting all people back to yourself through grace, through nothing but grace and mercy, through the work of Jesus Christ. Oh Father, we pray that you'd please purify our hearts, cleanse us from pride and revenge and resentment and, and uh, judgment and condemnation. Just purify our hearts, show us more the fact that we didn't ever deserve any of your love. We have been recipients of grace. So then let us to live in a manner that's consistent with that, with gospel-fueled humility and gentleness and patience, forbearing love, eager to maintain the unity that you have given us in this bond of peace. Oh, Father, forgive us, please, for thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Work through us powerfully for the sake of your eternal glory as we seek to build up your body together and all of God's people would say,
1: amen. Or would you please stand with us And let's sing
0: Oh how good it is When the family of God Dwells together in spirit In faith and unity We're the bonds of peace of acceptance and love are the fruit of his presence here among us. So with one voice we'll sing to the Lord, and with one heart we'll live out his for he dwells in the presence of his people oh how good it is on this journey we share to rejoice with the happy and weep with those who mourn for the weak find strength the afflicted find grace when we offer the blessing of belonging. So with one voice we'll sing to the Lord, and with one heart we'll live out His Word. share in the love of the Son with the Father and the Spirit. So with one voice we'll sing to the Lord and with one heart we'll live out his word till the whole earth sees the Redeemer has come. He dwells in the presence of his people.
4: Aren't you glad that the Redeemer has come? Amen. <laughs> the Redeemer, he's come. The Messiah come. We don't have to live in our sins anymore. So I don't know what bitterness you're hanging on to. I don't know what anger you're hanging on to. I don't know what vengeance and retaliation. And you're just so concerned about trying to prove yourself right. The Redeemer's come. You don't have to live that way anymore. All your sins can be forgiven. We don't have to be proud anymore. We have a savior. Oh, church, I just want to encourage you. Our Redeemer has come. We want the whole world to know that our Redeemer lives. And one of the greatest witnesses for the fact that our God reigns is the unity of God's people among themselves. So let's pray that God would make us quick to forgive. That we'd be much more concerned about mercy than we'd ever be concerned about justice. Love ya. Appreciate you. Such a joy to be in the church together. Our God's amazing. We have an amazing opportunity today to uh, bless those of our loved ones in Kentucky. So as we go, remember there's an exit offering. Everything that's collected in those receptacles will go right to Scripture Memory Mountain Mission, Camp Nathaniel, to help them uh, glorify God by meeting the urgent needs of that community in the name of Jesus. So please, uh, let's give generously and remember to do so today, either online or uh, in, the, in the receptacles as you leave. Let's pray our benediction as we go out into our week of witness and worship together. Would you pray it with me, please? Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us,